This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now we have more bacteria in our bodies than we have cells, but do we really understand their function, especially when they can have such a huge impact on how the rest of our body feels from digestion to weight loss to physical and mental health? We're breaking it down today with Bernadette Abram, nutritional therapy practitioner and functional medicine coach. She's on next right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. You're listening to Pulse95. Pulse95. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. The incredible complexity of the gut and its importance to our overall health is a topic that we're now hearing more and more about. Recent studies show the links between gut health and the immune system, mood, mental health, autoimmune diseases, endocrine disorders, skin conditions, and even cancer. Even though at one time our digestive system was considered a relatively simple body system, we're now realizing that actually there's a whole other world in there. And to break it all down for us, I'm so glad to welcome back into the studio Bernadette Abram. So glad to be back. Thanks so for having me. good to have you. Now, this is a, a really big topic, one that uh, you talk about on your social media. It went viral. Uh, you know, th- like I said, it, it used to be thought of as this really simple thing. You eat food, you d- digest it, <laughs> it comes out the end. Actually, there's a whole universe that is going on in there in our gut, isn't there? Yeah, they call it the invisible organ. Right. So it's um, absolutely gut health is foundational to overall health. And uh, they say disease begins in the gut and almost every uh, disease. It's true. Almost every disease that you could think of, if you try to look at root causes, somehow it goes back to the digestive system. Because if you look at what is in the gut, you have not only you know, do you eat and it processes the food and you digest and absorb those foods, but you also have the immune system that is in there. That is where you also house a lot of your neurotransmitters, those chemicals that are responsible for mood and emotions, those chemical messengers. So that's why mental health, it's so important for mental health. And it even impacts hormones. You know, we'll, we can discuss further on, later on, of how um, an imbalance in your microbiome, which is, you know, those, those gut bugs, that, as they call them, um, can impact hormone production, can impact weight loss, can impact immunity. And it really is all connected um, in the gut, and and this is why you know if you have any any issues, you you have to di- you have to look at um, your digestion, and it, you know it doesn't necessarily begin in the mouth; it does begin in the brain. That's where digestion actually starts. Wow, this is so interesting. Wait, digestion starts in the brain. Mm-hmm. How so, does that happen? Well, you know when you see food. What happens, right? When you smell food, what happens? Your your salivary glands start to salivate because you you the brain sensed food and it got digested started. Um, and it's very important that people be in that right state, which is called a parasympathetic state. This is the state where you're in um, you know relaxation mode. And if we're constantly on the run, on the go, stressed, you know, people have heard of the term flight or fight. If we're in that flight or fight state. We're not in the state to digest. So right from the start, from the brain, um, it's very important to be in that parasympathetic 
rest and digest state in order to properly be able to digest our food, you know? And then you have the mechanical breakdown in the mouth. A lot of people don't chew their food, you know? They'll, they'll just put it in their mouth and guzzle it down and wash it down with a big jug of water. Um, and that's just a sign, you know, if you're very thirsty, that's just another sign that the brain hasn't sent the right signal to the mouth to start producing salivary amylase, that those enzymes needed to start breaking down carbohydrates from your food in your mouth. So chewing is very much a part of the whole digestive process. First, you have to be in the right state. Second, you have to be chewing properly because that's the mechanical, physical breakdown. That's really the only thing we have control over, right? Everything Why is else- that so important? Because it's going to get digested in your <clears throat> intestines anyway. Why is that important? That because we you want to relieve the burden. If you don't have, um, if you haven't properly broken down your food, then you're leaving that honest on the rest of the digestive system. And sometimes it doesn't do a good enough job of breaking down those large molecules of food, which can end up causing things like candida and yeast overgrowth, which are very, very common today. And so again, I go back to, this is called eating hygiene. You know, this is the basics of digestion. We have to go back and look at the state of how we're eating, not just what we're eating, but the state of how we're eating. Are we sitting down or are we on the run? Are we eating the car? Or are we sitting down properly? How, are we eating in front of the computer? Yeah, how many of us during our lunch breaks at work are mm -hmm. eating in front of the computer while working? Mindlessly. So we have to bring back mindfulness. We have to take the time to actually sit and eat. We need to take a lunch hour. If it's not an hour, at least the 10, 20 minutes that it needs to eat your, your meal. And I often tell my clients, you know, try to induce that state because I used to be a very high strung person and always on the go. Uh, you know, when I was doing personal training, and I was going from one client to the next. I was eating in the car. I was eating on the run until I learned this very valuable piece of information. And I had to physically induce that relaxation state. Mm. And I would take my plate and I would sit on the floor. Literally, I would I would sit on the floor and take a big, deep breath and allow my body to feel that sense of, OK, I'm not in this flight fight state and I'm ready to receive this food. Help me, body. You know, I was giving my body the right signals and then to help slow down eating and encouraging people to chew more. You know, I would say put your fork down in between every bite. It forces that little extra one or two or three more chews before you actually swallow. So, you know, if there's one piece of information that people are going to take from this conversation today is eating hygiene is extremely simple, is extremely common sense, but it is the most powerful piece to correct digestion. So if you have gut issues, you have to begin from the start, from the brain. Are you in the right state of mind? And are you digesting your food? Are you chewing your food? Are you getting that mechanical breakdown before you swallow that food? Wow, this, uh, that, that just hit me. I wasn't expecting that, but this is where it all starts, everybody. Uh, but um, I want you, Bernadette, to kind of break it all down for us. When uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a term that we hear a lot. What does that exactly mean? Take us inside the world of the gut. Yeah, well, it's a symbiotic relationship, meaning there's many, um, you know, you'll find bacteria, you'll find fungal species, you'll find um, parasitic species, you'll find all of these things living harmoniously and in balance. The problem becomes disease comes from when that balance, uh, when there's an imbalance. When there, are, when there are overgrowth or when these opportunistic uh, pathogens such as bacteria or yeast species have the opportunity to overgrow and they do. 
And so there are certain foods and there are certain lifestyle factors that can contribute to these overgrowths and cause uh, dysbiosis. And these are things like, for, for example, what we just discussed, eating hygiene. If you don't properly break down your food, that large undigested molecules can go on and feed yeast species and have you know candida overgrowth and yeast overgrowth um, another thing is antibiotics a lot of people you know end up with um, infections that require medications but if you take a course of antibiotics and don't replenish um, with a course of probiotics or eating on a regular basis fermented foods after one course of antibiotics you need to be uh, replenishing your gut microbiome for at least four months four months yeah after one course after of one course of antibiotics because what that does is it wipes out not only the bad infection but it also wipes out the good and what happens is what the way i like to explain it to people is think of a grassy field that has many different types of grasses growing and weeds right and they're all growing harmoniously but then you have a lawnmower and you just you mow the lawn that's what the antibiotic does it mows the lawn and then you end up with you know some grass higher than others and that's what, that's what can happen when you take antibiotics is that you've wiped out, you know, let's say one patch of grass and you have other grass that are now overgrowing. And that's why a lot of people after taking courses of antibiotics will end up with yeast overgrowths. And so it's important to keep that in mind that if you do have to take, you know, antibiotics can absolutely be life-saving, uh, but it is also overprescribed in today's world. And so you have to, um, with your doctor, make that best decision if antibiotics really is, if it's a life-threatening situation, absolutely take it. Um, and if you do, make sure that you are uh, doing your due diligence to replenish uh, your probiotic stores, your, your beneficial bacteria. And that could be done through probiotics or through food, fermented food sources. You've started uh, you've started us on on a, a big big long uh, <laughs> long journey here in terms of talking about probiotics. A lot of us think okay, yes, probiotics, but uh, where do you even start with that? We're going to come back and uh, talk a little bit about that. I feel like that needs a whole show in and of itself. However, uh, you know, talk about that and as well, let's talk about the kind of symptoms that we can see going on in the gut that could be an indication of something else, mm -hmm. something bigger. Bernadette Abram is here right is here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. We are talking gut health this morning with Bernadette Abram. She's a, a therapy practitioner and functional medicine coach and the author of the upcoming book on junk how to raise healthy eaters in a processed world. Now, uh, Bernadette, you mentioned something really important. So many of us, we go to the doctor and uh, we get prescribed antibiotics. And sometimes I've had this happen to me, you know, where um, the doctor will also prescribe probiotics as well. They'll mm -hmm. say, you know, you like you were saying, you need to replenish. But are they prescribing the right thing? I'm a bit confused about this. You said four months, but usually they give you like, like a... two weeks. Yeah, max, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what's important to know is what type are they giving to you? So probiotics, think of it like food. Um, there's no, you know, there's different types of food. There's different types of probiotics. And generally the ones that are available in the market are what you call transient species, transient types. So this means if you're not continuously taking a source of 
this transient probiotic, then it stays within you within, after three to five days, it comes out with the stool. So you have to constantly be replenishing, whether through probiotic supplementation or through food sources. Otherwise, it doesn't stay in you. It doesn't colonize. The type that colonizes, we call them native. They're the ones that actually become residents, right? So let's kind of give an analogy here. You have tourists and you have the locals. So the native species actually stay and reside and they build shop and they flourish, they colonize. Whereas the transient types, which are the ones that are commonly given um, after courses of antibiotics, for example, those are transient and they don't stay for long. They're like tourists. Mm -hmm. They come, they do their thing, and then they leave after three to five days. So you have to constantly be getting in an additional source. And that's what's something that's important for people to know. As you know, I did a post recently um, that went viral on social media and I opened up a can of worms with this one. Uh, but it was all about getting people to understand the basic probiotics that are available in the market. And, you know, each one has what they call a genus, a species and a strain. And it's kind of like the genus is like saying it's the canine, right? Family. It's mm -hmm. a family. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the species is dogs, the category. And then the strain would be the breed of dog. Okay. Right. So it really breaks it down. And so microbiome science is a very early science and we're, you know, maybe a decade or more. And so it's still very young and we're learning what different strains and um, species do in the body. And this is where there's a lot of the confusion because just because it's the same strain. So for example, lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, these are the ones that you commonly find in probiotics that people are aware of. Because if you look at your body, you'll see those ingredient names. Well, those species don't, you know, will have different strains and every strain will have a different function and a different role in the body. And this is what we're still learning. And so oftentimes these probiotics don't necessarily mention the strain, and they should. If it's a high quality one, it should mention the strain. Um, and there are resources I can share. Obviously, I'm doing a follow up to this post. I'm going to have a part two, three, four and five, <laughs> because as I said, it opened up so many questions. And um, but people can, for example, check out uh, probiotic advisor. Uh, dot com website and it's a resource to be able to go and put in specific uh, strains and specific species and it gives you evidence-based research on what that strain does in the body that's so interesting how mm -hmm. many how many are there are they like hundreds thousands oh yeah there's more <laughs> there's way more and we're discovering more and more that sounds very um, <clears throat> specific something that only a doctor can do so uh, how would you go about understanding uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to prescribe yourself, you know, so how would, would somebody need to go to somebody like you to understand, exactly. you know, probiotics? What kind of probiotics work for different it's symptoms like, here? So it's like supplementation. Mm. You wouldn't recommend someone to go just take a random supplement, for example, zinc or um, another vitamin, unless they actually have a deficiency in that particular nutrient. It's right. the same thing with probiotics. That's the benefit of supplementation, is when you know there is a lack or when you know there's a certain condition that requires that specific species or strain, then you can find a probiotic formulation that has that in it. And so it has a more therapeutic effect. Um, and this is why, you know, rather than trying to get, be all confused about the different brands and strains and species, go to food. Because food contains a wider variety than any probiotic supplement will ever contain. And it has much larger numbers as well than any probiotic strain would have. For example, what kind of foods are we talking so about? So we're talking about anything fermented. So sauerkraut, 
kimchi. So these are fermented cabbage, right? One is a Korean version. Kimchi is the Korean version. Um, you have uh, kombucha, which is a fermented tea beverage, which I just found out recently that uh, the UAE has allowed the first uh, there's a, there's one company now that is now offering bottled uh, kombucha, and it's available in Waitrose and Spinney's. Really? Just 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 new. That <laughs> Very is so recent. interesting. Okay. They are abiding. I think it wasn't allowed to have kombucha because fermentation can create alcohol. So I believe it has to be under certain regulatory conditions to ensure that it doesn't. Um, I've seen even, it, um, it, uh, it, I think it's only in the U.S. at the moment, but even Starbucks is selling things like kombucha. Oh, yeah, there's kombucha it's breweries. Huge. It right. is. It's huge in the U.S. And that's why I'm very excited that this is the first one in the UAE that's available now for those who don't want to make it themselves. Yes. Um, you know, that they can go and purchase. Yeah. Um, then you have kefir, which is the fermented dairy beverage. And you have water kefir for those who are dairy intolerant. So you have a wide variety of fermented foods. Then you have all the pickling, you know, as well, the culturing of foods. Um, and you want to be getting in a variety of all of those foods. That's the best way to get in the most um, varied sources of probiotics into your system. Let's be totally honest. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these foods that you've mentioned, kombucha included, <laughs> don't taste that great. Oh, kombucha is good. Do you <laughs> Have you had it? I knew she'd say that, yes. <laughs> well, maybe you didn't like the flavor. I don't that like... Specific, it I comes in many flavors. See, I didn't have flavored kombucha. Ah, okay. Uh, so, uh, I mean, maybe... <laughs> I mean, should I be adding honey or something? Or just try a different flavor. Okay, just try it. I would say try it again. I had I had a, a, a friend of mine who who made miso because she makes her own kombucha. Oh, uh, miso, miso is another fermented. Yeah. Miso yeah. is another one. Um, it, it, these are kind of uh, the kind of foods that you often find in Asian food, in Japanese mm -hmm. food, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, Korean food. They show up a lot. Exactly. Does that explain why the the uh, our Asian brothers and sisters, uh, the Japanese and, and Koreans, are so healthy? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to generalize but yeah absolutely microbiome health like i said disease begins in the gut the healthier your gut is the healthier microbiome is it's a reflection of your overall health so for mm, sure mm, yeah mm, mm. okay yeah. so these are some of the foods that we need to be focusing focusing on mm -hmm. uh we're going to come back in uh, just a moment after the half past headlines and talk about some of the symptoms mm -hmm. that people could be seeing and what that could be a sign of more to come here on life beats this is pulse 95 Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Bernadette, you were just telling me in the break how uh, you actually get your kids to eat fermented food. This is big. Yeah. Talk okay. to me about how you do so it. So practicality. How yes. do we get how do we get people eating more fermented foods? For me, I started out with kefir. So kefir, you first you get the grains from someone. I bought them off a guy in Germany. I had them shipped here um, several, several years ago. And since then, I mean what happens is as you ferment, they start to replicate and they start to grow. And then you start sharing them with people. And there's actually an underground, there's actually a private Facebook group here in in the UAE called the UAE Culture Club uh, that people can join to try to get, you know, either scobies to make kombucha or kefir to make their own um, you know milk kefir and so I started with kefir and I use it in smoothies so instead of using just normal milk whether that's dairy milk or coconut milk I would ferment the milk and use that in their fruit smoothies in the afternoons when they come home from school um, and if they don't like smoothies then I turned them into popsicles and that's another way of getting them in and getting in some probiotics and so the kefir uh, milk has got like this tart taste about it do you add honey to kind of uh, offset that no or? so the fruits so the yeah. fruits will offset that sour taste and so it gives the overall beverage like a more tart flavor which is really nice cool yeah this is amazing mm -hmm. tips 101 with <laughs> bernadette abram i love it 
this is the the great thing about you, Bernadette. You've got to, your kids. You always, you know, tried this stuff out on them. And <laughs> and <poor> things. <laughs> we need to do more. And you've been on here before talking about um, kids and how to eat more healthily with kids. It's kind of like you, you know your uh, your your specialization. You specialize in all of us, but this is something that you do so well. I guess because it's part of my everyday life. Yeah. I have to go through it with my own family. And it's a struggle, I think, for the rest of us parents. So we're going to talk more about this, and we're going to talk. Sure. Uh, more about that uh, on future shows but let's kind of come back uh, to the kind of uh, symptoms that people can uh, suffer with um, uh, concerning their gut concerning Mm -hmm. uh, their bowels but they often ignore them you Mm -hmm. think oh it's going to go away it'll be fine Uh, but actually they don't so uh, for example what kind of symptoms do people come to you with that are the most common the most common ones are bloating gas indigestion acid reflux those are always the more popular symptoms that people kind of just brush off. Um, they think it's just, you know, indigestion or something that they ate and they ignore it. Um, or they think it's part of being female. It's part of PMS, you know, getting bloating and so on before your cycle. And um, and they, they kind of just brush it aside and don't really investigate further and look at the root causes of what's really going on. So um, there are a lot of these GI symptoms and even um, constipation. I mean, you know, when I ask clients, uh, how frequently do you go? This is a very important question because you should be going daily at least once per day, up to two to three times per day, ideally. And it's like taking the trash out every day. You know, if you have your trash in your kitchen and you don't take it out, what happens to it, right? It smells, it rots, it starts to ferment. Well, the same thing happens in our gut. If we are not pooping every day, if we're not having a bowel movement every day, then that trash is in there creating toxicity and that toxicity can recirculate into the into the system. So it's very important that we get rid of our trash every single day. And so, you know, bowel movements and talking about poop is, you know, so taboo, but it's so critical. It's such a critical part of our physiology. We all do it. We need to be talking more about it. People need to, first of all, look. Nobody looks. Right. We need to take our our animals as role models here. Right. What do they do after they go? (laughs) Right. They turn around, they look at, they sniff it, they look at it and they sniff it because they instinctively know that it's reflective of their world. And so is our bowel movements. It's a it's a snapshot of our health. It tells us you don't need to sniff it. (laughs) Let's just kind of calm down there. Uh, But yeah, no, exactly. You kind of need to. Uh, what are we looking here at? The color, the consistency? All of that, exactly. So first, you know, get into the habit of looking. The next okay. thing is, do you see undigested food particles? If you see little bits of food, if you see recognizable, you know, if you see, oh, you know, that's part of my salad today or that's part of something that I ate, then that's just a sign that you're not properly digesting, breaking it down and absorbing. Not chewing enough. Not ch- Exactly. It could be eating hygiene. It could be you're stressed and you're eating on the run. Right. And you're not giving that body the ability to actually properly break down the food. It can also be something further like it's um, uh, you don't have enough pancreatic enzymes. Again, it could go back to stress. Uh, You don't have enough digestive enzymes um, or not enough stomach acid. So acid reflux sufferers, for example, often think that they have too much stomach acid when it's actually the opposite. It's usually a lack of stomach acid because then what happens, the food just sits there in the stomach and the the body's innate intelligence is not going to let that food go on into the small intestine until it's properly broken down. So it just sits there. It sits there in the stomach and whatever little acidity, you know, it starts to ferment. It starts to, the, the proteins putrefy, the fats rancidify, the carbs ferment, it happens, bubbles up. And you that, do feel it. And that little acidity that you do have can splash up. 
you know, and cause that heartburn. So a lot of people think it's too much acidity when it's actually not enough and the food actually just sits there. Um, and this is actually why, because stomach acid does naturally decrease with age. And this is why you see a lot of elderly people who start to shy away from heavy meats and proteins because they just naturally feel like I can't digest this anymore. And they start to shy away from those foods naturally. Um, so, you know, these are all symptoms of, of digestive dysfunctions that can be corrected, um, you know, by seeking the help of a functional medicine practitioner or a naturopathic doctor or uh, someone with this type of training. And the other thing, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so when someone comes to you like that, what kind of questions uh, are you asking them? Is it about, you know, uh, what <laughs> their stool looks like? Is it about how they eat? Is it all of those things mm-hmm. that you're going to be asking them about yeah, so, I to mean, find out the cause? <laughs> you should you should see pictures on my phone of what clients send me. But because I because <laughs> it's, you know, bowel movements is very much a part of our conversation because it gives me an indication of what's going on in their gut. So, yes have them look is there is there still bits of food that's recognizable Mm. or not um how is the smell also yes okay we you know we poke and make fun that it's the smelly thing but okay it will have a little bit of a sulfur smell because you know it has sulfur in it um but it shouldn't be so overly smelly that you have to aerate the whole house if that's the case then again that's another indication that something is off that there's some dysbiosis an imbalance in the gut microbes that may be causing some fermentation and that's causing that really bad smell um, you know, other signs and symptoms can be, you know, about whether or not you have fat malabsorption, can be whether or not your stool sinks or if it floats. So it should be sinking. If it floats, if there's an oily film around, you know, the bowl, if it really sticky and it sticks, that those are all signs of fat malabsorption and that your body is not absorbing the fats. And so it's coming out in the stool and it's creating buoyancy so that it floats and it's creating that oily film. So these are all indicators and signs and symptoms of um, some struggle in the digestive system. This is so interesting. I I can't believe how much uh, there is to think about just with your bowel movements alone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how much it can actually tell Mm -hmm. you. Um, Coming up uh, on the show, we're going to be talking about the, the relationship between the gut Bacteria and weight loss. This is a a big one that people have been asking about as well. Um, Something else uh, that we're going to be talking about is uh, whether you should be eating more uh, cooked food or raw food. What kind of an impact can that have on your gut microbiome? Lots to come next. Pulse 95. Live Beats with Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. Now, Bernadette, uh, a topic that we hear uh, quite a bit about is gut bacteria, how can how it can actually impact um, weight loss. This is a, a big one. Professor Tim Spector has, has talked about this uh, in his books, uh, talking about the fact that if you have the right bacteria in your body, then uh, that can help you lose weight and, mm-hmm. and normalize your body's weight. But if you don't have that bacteria, you can't Mm -hmm. do anything about it. What do we need to know when it comes to weight loss? Okay, well, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to take a step back before I address, you know, microbiome health and Mm. weight loss is that weight loss is another symptom. We were talking earlier about how our body's constantly giving us symptoms. If someone diets in terms, and by diet, I mean eats properly and exercises and is unable to lose weight, right? If they're doing everything that they should be doing and can't seem to lose the weight, that's a symptom. That's a symptom of a dysfunction, an impairment, an imbalance somewhere else further in the body that's holding you back from being able to lose the weight. And oftentimes, weight loss is being modulated by inflammation 
and it's regulated by many systems in the body, specifically hormonal. And insulin, everybody's heard of insulin, right, with blood sugar control, is a major player for weight loss. And so going back to weight loss and inflammation, well, inflammation, once you get rid of those sources, which can be toxins, which can be gut infections. So again, the microbiome health can be contributing to inflammation, which is preventing weight loss. Mm -hmm. So that's the connection there between, yes, how when you modulate um, and when you um, correct imbalances in the gut microbiome um, and you bring back balance into the gut health, um, that weight starts to come off effortlessly. And in fact, there was a study that was done um, with overweight and obese adults. They were given the specific strain called Bifidobacterium lactis B420 was the, was the strain uh, supplementation for six months. And the results showed that they lost in, by doing nothing else. Uh, there was a 4% change in body fat mass. Now, more importantly, uh, they found that they also found changes in zonulin, which is a marker that is used to look for leaky gut. So we're hearing a lot about leaky gut, leaky gut, you know, when it comes to gut health and how that can lead to um, immune dysregulation, um, but also in the inflammation marker, CRP. So that brought it down. So again, you can see the link between probiotics, specifically that one strain that they did in this study, mm -hmm. and how it can help reduce inflammation in the body and thereby help shift body fat mass. They did nothing else except for take this particular strain mm -hmm. of for probiotics. For six months. For six months. Yeah. And they lost 4%. 4% change in body fat mass. That's incredible. Yeah. That is Just quite... by shifting the microbiome. You just mentioned um, leaky gut. Talk to us <laughs> a bit more about that. Okay, so leaky gut is a generic term that is basically, um, it's... It, if you look at your gut lining, you have these junctions. So think of it like a picket fence. And in between the picket fence, you have these gaps, right? In between the picket fence. Imagine one, one of the, the fence pieces, one of those wooden pieces are missing. It's fallen off. You have a larger gap that allows things to go across the fence that really shouldn't be going across the fence. That's kind of the way I like to explain it through visualization for people to understand what leaky gut is. So it's these junctions that we have in our gastrointestinal lining that become a little bit loose and can open up and it allows toxins to go in, allows food particles to go in, and that can really alert the immune system. And if left unresolved, can eventually lead to autoimmune conditions. Mm. So this is why they do say that um, autoimmune conditions, you know, there's a there's a um, correlation between the two. There's an association between the two, that leaky gut. Whether one causes the other, there's still a debate about that. But there's definitely, if someone has an autoimmune condition, we always consider leaky gut in the equation. Okay. All right. There's a, a study that has just uh, been released that talks about the difference between cooked food and raw food and the kind of impact that it can have on your gut. So talk yeah. to us about that. Which one is better? Uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, eating raw <laughs> food and that's so great for you, but is it really? Yeah, no, I mean, these are extremes. You know, there's a lot of people who just do raw food diets, but it ends up causing other problems. Um, again, the balance, you need both. You need both raw and you need both cooked for various functions, various reasons. So mm. um, I don't like to, um, you know, dive more deeper into this because I really feel um, just like our diet, it does need to be varied and so does the types of foods that you eat needs to be varied. Okay, so make sure you're getting uh, enough of both. Yeah, I'd say 50-50 in a day. Okay. You, wanna, you, know, you don't want everything to be cooked because you are also destroying enzymes in the foods by cooking. 
and uh, you're losing vital nutrients that way as well. And so having a good combination of 50% raw, 50% cooked is a good general, you know, guideline for this, people to follow. Yeah, this particular study that just came out talks about um, the way that certain raw foods can actually destroy some of the good bacteria mm. in the gut. How does that work? Well, I don't know. What Did they, spe- did they specify which foods? Uh, I think they were talking about um, things like uh, broccoli, uh, mm-hmm. for example. It can <coughs> do that. But th- is there a correlation between that? Um, look, I haven't come across anything, to be honest, uh, in terms of, you know, if there's a specific raw food you know, maybe there is. But I think, again, if you're eating a, a balanced, varied diet, mm. um, I think there are certain things that compensate for others. And you don't have to start becoming so, you um, know, uh, have such a reductionist view on food as to what is good and what is bad. All food lies somewhere on a health continuum line. This is the way I like to explain it. And we want to be aiming for most of our food to be coming from nature. Um, and that's usually in its raw form. Uh, but then also there are certain things that we can be and should be cooking. So this is why a variety, again, of different foods is ultimately the way we've evolved. Yeah. Uh, Layla just uh, heard us talking about uh, weight loss and uh, she was talking about how she's recently actually gone vegan. A lot of people talking about going vegan right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and she says that there are studies that show uh, vegans uh, or vegan diets can boost the gut microbes related to improved body weight. Mm-hmm. So is, is there a cor- correlation there, you know, again, uh, by going vegan? Yeah, well, again, because you're getting in live food, mm. right? You're having the, the live food can... So, for example, you have something called prebiotics. Prebiotics are uh, bacteria, a food for the bacteria, food for your gut microbes. And so by eating these live foods... Um, such as artichoke and, you know, live fruits and vegetables that have fiber, it can help feed these beneficial bacteria. But I can also argue that in someone who has an overgrowth, eating vegetables, which is everybody can agree, we all need to be eating more vegetables, correct? But in someone who has already, for example, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, they are going to be bloated and look six months pregnant if they have raw food. So it's always circumstantial and it's always individual. You really have to keep that in mind. And the same thing with vegan diets. You know, if someone comes to me and tells me that they're vegan and they're having issues, health issues, I need to look at what's going on. What deficiencies have been caused from this specific diet? If someone comes to me and they have religious beliefs that doesn't allow them to eat animal foods, then I need to respect that and help them address any deficiencies or dysfunctions that are happening as a result of their religious beliefs and diet that they're now following. So I don't like to say that, you know, a specific diet generalized is good for absolutely everyone no because I can then take the other side of the coin and and show you examples of why it's not necessarily good for you Mm. so it is absolutely individualized and people really need to go back to listening to their own bodies and seeing what works for them absolutely so uh, as we come to the end of uh, this show what's uh, your final piece of advice I feel like we have to come back to this topic but you know the big takeaway here uh, when we're talking about uh, gut health Again, I think I'm going to go back to what we initially discussed. Um, It's a very simple concept that we discussed, but it it is extremely powerful. And I've seen this alone transform people's digestion. So if it's that one piece of advice to give, it's when it's time to eat, slow down, actually take a break, sit down, chew your food, allow your body to know that it is time to eat and digest and break down and absorb your food. Take the time out. Eat, absorb your food, (laughs) enjoy your food. 
Amazing advice. Thank you so much, Bernadette Abram. Uh, we have to have you back again. This sure, year. we'd love to. Yes, this definitely is not the end. And we're looking forward to your book coming out as Thank well. Thank you. Yes, April 2020. A- April. Yes, we're hanging out for that. But uh, Bernadette will definitely be back on the show. More to come in the next hour here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.